0: today, which is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. We'll read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 18, but the uh, text is really just one verse, which is verse 14, so you can... Pay particular attention to verse 14 and think about why we might have a sermon devoted to that one very short verse. Hear now the reading of God's Word. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. And of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Take one more minute to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us through your word, for not leaving us to our own thoughts and imaginations, but declaring the very mind of God through the word of God and equipping us with the Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written. We pray that you would use this time in which we consider words from you. We pray that you would use this time to sanctify us, to transform us from one degree of glory to another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Preparing to preach each week is often an unpredictable adventure. I had a sermon very far along in preparation when I submitted the bulletin information this past week. And then it was hearing a joke that the Holy Spirit used to bring me to a completely different sermon. And the joke goes like this. On a Saturday morning, a young child goes up to his mother and says, did you wake up grumpy this morning? And she says, no. I let him sleep in. And the reason that diverted me from the sermon I had in mind, which would have been on Um, Philippians 2.14 through the beginning of verse 16 was that I realized that joke works. The reason we all laugh at that joke, the reason we get it, is because complaining is universal among us. That's the reason a child asks his mom if she's grumpy in the morning. That's the reason the mom thinks that the husband is the one who's grumpy and needs to sleep in. That's why it resonates with us. This is a universal reality for us, an expression of the fall that we are all under, something we can all relate to. Or, as somebody said to me earlier today, when we hear "Do all things without grumbling or disputing, we instinctively say, that's a tall order. And I realize that all of us probably need a sermon, on just those very few words from God in Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, or another way you could say that, do all things without complaining or arguing. And uh, so we'll, we'll look at verse 2, 14, and it's a kind of odd keyword outline for today but i think it will help us navigate this very simple explicit direction from saint paul the holy spirit and god our father we'll look at verse 214 to find conviction which won't be too hard (laughs) conviction danger and then worship we'll be considering just the 14th verse but we'll draw on things that are said in verse 15 and in verse 17 conviction danger and then worship now another reason for preaching on this singular verse of uh, 214 is i realized in reading it my own mind instinctively went to exceptions because it says do all things without complaining or arguing. And my own mind started saying, like, you know, do all things, but what about this situation? You know, what about when you just wake up in the morning? What about when you've had a really taxing day? What about when you just don't feel so good? What about when you thought you were done with everything you had to do in a day? One more email came in that you had to respond to. When you thought you were done with your day at the office you had to stay an extra half hour there was traffic what about all these situations when one more thing happened is it really wrong in those instances to do a little grumbling complaining even arguing really lord why now why this sort of thing did i have to miss that bus Do I have to be out of gas? Do I have to be running late? Do I have to not have enough money again? Whatever. Really? And that in itself became so convicting because I realized what I was doing in response to the word of God was complaining and arguing because the word of God says so clearly do all things without complaining or arguing. And I have a fleshed out understanding of how God speaks to us and speaks to us through his word, which was inspired and works through that word by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And there I am riffing out complaint and argument after complaint and argument, not towards any person, but towards the Holy Spirit and God himself, who so clearly says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And something called the conviction of sin began within me, as I trust it is beginning to develop within you as well. And other thoughts occurred to me, maybe you've heard this before, that I I don't know this because I'm I'm not an Eskimo, and I'm sorry if Eskimo isn't politically correct anymore. I grew up hearing that they were Eskimos, and I'm not sure what else to call them, but I've heard that Eskimos have lots and lots of different words for snow because they see so many different types of snow, so they have lots and lots of different words in their vocabulary to describe all the different things that would just appear to us as snow, and that became so convicting to me because I thought about all the different words we have in our vocabulary for complain and for arguing. Maybe we don't have so many words for snow, but when it comes to complaining, murmur, grumble, fuss, gripe, groan, moan, bemoan, snivel, Carp, wine, rant, killjoy, not a realist, not a pessimist, but a realist. Negative, it's not fair, pity party, jaded, and cynical. And when it comes to argue, we have dispute, contend, quarrel, squabble, altercation, Bicker, feud, sass, wrangle, bump heads, cross swords, have at each other, get in someone's face, lock horns, talk back, stick it to, and children. It's grievous for me to admit this, that all of you are involved in a conspiracy set forth by your parents on almost every day of your life, as you are told over and over, stop complaining, stop fussing. And here's the conspiracy. When you grow up and go out and be with the adults, you realize it is a world full of complaining and fussing. Indeed, when it comes to complaining and arguing, we are probably stricter with our children than we are with ourselves. There's not just all the ways in which we complain and argue and all the different words in our vocabulary for doing those sorts of things. There's all the ways we excuse those sorts of things. I just need to vent. I just need to get something off my chest. I just need to let off some steam. No one appreciates me. Nothing ever changes. Is this the best we can do? Is this as good as it gets? Can't we do better than this? Preludes to complaining or perhaps arguing. And you come back to a verse so very, very simple, so unnuanced. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And do all things without in the Greek means do all things without. Now, bear in mind that we are actually working towards being convicted of the sin of complaining and arguing. So I do want to take this just a little bit further. Has complaining ever made things better for you personally? Was there ever a time in your life, ever a time in your life where something wasn't going the way you wanted it to, so you complained all about it for a good 10 minutes and then said, now I feel so much better about that? Now I'm in such a much better place. Now that I have had my 10-minute-long pity party, I just feel all about going to work and addressing that situation. And here's what's amazing. Not only does complaining make us feel worse about it, but we bring that complaining to other people. We say, in effect, pity parties, complaining, has never worked for me personally, but I'm going to bring it to other people." I'm going to go complain to others, even though I know it makes me, myself, feel worse. It's not something that helps me. I have no reason to to think it will help somebody else, but that's precisely what I'm going to do with it. Then to bring the conviction further, we think back to the stories we hear even as children in Bible school. And what stands out to us, of course... Is the children of Israel and the fact that time after time they were complaining and complaining? And as children who are told so frequently not to fuss and complain by their parents, we think, why are those Israelites always complaining? You know, they're complaining about not having the food that they want, they're complaining about being in the wilderness, they're complaining about not having water. They're complaining about not being in Egypt. Why are they complaining so much? And then as adults, you look and you think about being out there with your children, perpetually camping day in and day out, without a conclusion to nonstop living in tents in the wilderness, not knowing where food is going to come from, at points not even knowing where water is going to come from. And you realize... I'd probably have been complaining right along with each of one of those Israelites back then. And you read in your New Testament the commentary in Hebrews chapter 3 about that complaining in which God's word says, Take care, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And among other things, what you see there is that not only would we have struggled to keep from arguing and complaining in the wilderness with the Israelites, but that that verbal complaining and that verbal arguing is indicative of an unbelieving, sinful, evil, disobedient heart, which in the case of those Israelites did indeed result in the judgment of God and instead of spending two weeks on foot through the wilderness to the promised land from Egypt, it was 40 years until they all died in the desert because of sin, evil, unbelief, disobedience, as demonstrated through complaining and arguing. You see, the conviction builds up. I want to go to one more passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul in the Word of God says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. We are wired in such a way that is so twisted that when we read a list of habitual sins, such as idolatry, sexual immorality, thieving, drunk, drunkards, swindlers, we sort of grind our teeth through the things that might apply to us and breathe a sigh of relief at the things that don't seem to apply to us. Well, thank God I'm not that. But here's why I read that passage. It says revilers can you imagine talk radio the news and talk radio shows without reviling do you know what reviling is a reviler is one who uses words to abuse we're all guilty we all should be standing in conviction we have all used words in an abusive way either through complaining or through arguing and paul so clear such don't inherit the kingdom of god praise god the next verse begins with and such were some of you there's grace that we're getting to but for now conviction conviction of sin Such a simple verse. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We all are condemned. And before diving into the good news, I have this second point here. Danger. (laughs) And this is so critical and important. If you read verse 15, it sort of seems to compound the conviction Because it says, as a follow up to do all things without grumbling or disputing, it says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach. And all of us are here just thinking, not only have I failed at this very simple, explicit instruction, but I've failed at it so many times. Even wherever I am in the Christian life, I continue to fail at it still. And Paul is saying, this is how you should show yourself, demonstrate yourself to be blameless and pure and above reproach. And then you take it even further and you say, look at Paul. He's in prison as he's writing this. And he wasn't writing this in self-righteousness, but somehow Paul is an apostle and a man of God was able to have joy, which he's mentioning over and over, a, a rejoicing, a gladness instead of complaining and arguing. And these Philippians that Paul is writing to, it wasn't a cakewalk for them. They lived in the first century of the church. They're persecuted. They didn't have a president or a prime minister or democracy or even a faithful republic, but they had a tyrant and the tyrant of tyrants being Nero, And they were persecuted for their Christian faith and looked at as a sect or an occult. And we say, here I am, first world country, affluent United States with all of my rights and privileges. I have it so much better than Paul in prison. I have it so much better than those Philippians who were persecuted And I haven't had a day where I've been blameless, pure, and above reproach. And it's for very, very simple sins, complaining and arguing. And the reason I say you're a danger is because danger is now coming at you from three different places. There's the danger of just giving up. It's impossible. It just des- doesn't describe the real world, right? You're a realist, not a pessimist. This isn't can't be true about the day we live in. Forget it. I'm never going to attain to such a high standard. I know I'm unrighteous, but at least I'm honest. You see, that's the danger of unrighteousness. And what is All the more dangerous is the ways in which we rationalize. Is it really wrong to vent a little bit? I'm a realist, not a pessimist. I just say things how they are. I speak what's on my mind. It's not really complaining and arguing after all, is it? And you see, those are efforts to cave to the danger of self-righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is just, I give up, I can't do it, I'll just be unrighteous, at least I'm honest. Self-righteous is perpetually convincing yourself that you're not guilty of something that, deep down, you know you're guilty of. And then, probably where some of you are at this point, where I got during the preparation for the sermon... And maybe the most dangerous is not unrighteousness or self-righteousness, but despair. I think of myself as a child of God. I have made profession of faith. I am a member of the church. I have a testimony. I have taken vows that summarize the way in which I am faithful to the Lord. I read my Bible. I expect God to be at work in me, transforming me from one degree of glory to another. And just this little sentence decimates me, brings me all the way back to considering those who died in sin and evil and unbelief under the wrath of God, brings me all the way back to thinking about being one who doesn't inherit the kingdom of God hopeless That's What I that danger and it's here where oddly enough Philippians 2 verse 17 calls our attention not to conviction and not to danger but to worship And joy. Because in verse 17 Paul says. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering. Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice. And I share my joy. With you all. And I do see that as. The opposite of complaining and arguing. Not only experiencing joy, but sharing that joy with others. But you hear that language there. You hear that's a different way of speaking, that the Apostle Paul has in his mind that his life consists of being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of the faith of the Philippians. And it recalls imagery from the Old Testament. It recalls imagery related to sacrifice a drink offering was a part of old testament worship and sacrifice and this is the way to proceed do not respond to conviction of sin by just saying well i'm unrighteous at least i'm honest don't respond to conviction of sin by saying, well, uh, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at those things. That's self-righteousness, and even worse than unrighteousness. And certainly don't cave to despair under the weight of sin. Turn to worship, and with worship comes joy. Paul says, I'm in prison. I don't even know how much longer I'm going to be alive. I will soon be a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. But I see my life as meant to be poured out as an offering of service to God, as a sacrifice. And when I put things in those terms, when I think of things in that light, when I consider that that is what I'm called to do with my very life, when I look forward to Jesus Christ, when I come to Golgotha and its cross, and hear my Savior say, take up your cross, And follow me as a sacrifice. I worship. And on the heels of that worship is joy. The complaining, the arguing, it falls away. And instead I see my life as a drink offering presented to God. And Paul, as we've already noted, points to himself and says, be an imitator of me. Use me as an example Insofar as I imitate Jesus Christ, imitate me. But we don't need to stay with just Paul. Certainly that is the way to view your life. The worship of viewing your own life as a living sacrifice being poured out for the sake of Jesus Christ, bearing your own cross in the shadow of the cross of Christ. But think back to the scripture reading and what we spent weeks covering that Jesus Christ, verse 7, emptied himself and took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Take all your complaining, all your arguing, all your murmuring. Take it all to the cross and see there Jesus, the only perfect man to have ever lived, God who in himself has no need Whatsoever to die. Perfection that doesn't deserve death, divinity to which death doesn't properly belong, suffering and dying without any complaint, without any arguing. Even in those haunting words of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He professes his faith by calling God his God and doing that twice. And as the only man who's ever lived and didn't deserve to die died, even though he was God, he didn't conclude his life by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, the language of a submission, submissive child who is not fussing or quarreling or complaining. Take all of your complaining and arguing to the cross and see the obedience of Jesus Christ to the point of death, even the death of that cross, and see his absolute perfection unto death for your sake, for every complaint, for every sinful way in which you've argued. Shall we sin that grace might abound? Certainly not. God forbid. But know this and never forget it. For those in Christ, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Come to Christ, in whom grace abounds to even the worst Of sinners. Go to the cross, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the five thousandth time. Worship Christ. See the righteousness of God for your sake. Call him Savior. Call him Lord. See him as your brother, because he is not ashamed to look on me and you who have complained and argued incessantly throughout our very short lives. He is not ashamed to look on me and you as his brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the very center of verse 15 of chapter 2. Where God's people are called children of God. Think about that. You are a child of your mother and father, whoever they are. And how much did you do to establish that position? To make yourself a child of whoever your mother is and whoever your father is what did you contribute to that how did you perform your way into becoming the son or daughter of your father and mother and you know the answer you know that it was all prearranged that it was done by a divine plan by it was made it was the result of decisions that were not your own Consider the great grace and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Father and the Holy Spirit, who would inspire the Apostle Paul to write something as decimating as, do all things without grumbling and disputing. But before that, bring you to the cross of Christ, where there is obedience to the point of death, even the death of the cross, for your sake. And then would immediately follow up that convicting command, by reminding you that you are children of God. Go forth as children of God, doing all things without grumbling or disputing. Let's pray.